Welcome to the Av Youth Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to our latest messages and everything Av Youth related. We hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up guys? How are we doing? Yeah, three of us are excited to be here tonight. Uh, I'm good. I'm doing great. I'm just excited because we're back uh, for another week, and we didn't have to take a break. We, we it's just going fl- flawlessly. Thanks, Benny G. I like that. You should just play the whole entire time. Did you know there was a pastor I used to follow that the whole entire time that person would be speaking, he would have someone behind him playing piano, the whole entire time. Caitlin, could you imagine that? Like you just staying up there the whole entire night, just playing right behind me. It would be absolutely weird, but at the same time, kind of cool because it just makes me sound extra spiritual. Before we get into tonight, though, I, there's a few things that I do just want to highlight. Um, and one of those is tonight, for the first time since the beginning of quarantine, we have a newly married couple with us tonight. And that is Alex and Kenneth Edwards are with us tonight. Where's Alex at? Hi. It, it's so good to see you guys. And it's funny because I'm going to speak to Kenneth real quick. Um, did you see my story yesterday that I reposted? No, I don't think you really. You did? The mannequin challenge. Did anybody remember the mannequin challenge like five years ago? So we did one back in the day in Converge. And uh, some of you were there for to be a part of that. And uh, we did that. And then now I'm looking back because like, back in the day, it was like four leaders in Converge, like if that. And um, Kenneth and Alex were one of them. But now it's like it's like we're full circle, bro. You're married. I'm married. We're back together. You're running sound again. I'm speaking again. The band's back together. The band's back in town. I mean, it, pff, it is 2020. Um, but <laughs> let's move on before I get canceled. So tonight, guys, I'm excited because we are continuing our series to the brim. And last week, we opened this series up talking about fear. Now, if this is your first night with us in this series, the whole entire series is about how there's certain times in our lives that we can feel like we are just to the brim with some type of emotion, whether that's fear, whether that's anxiety, whether that's depression, whether that's um, shame, whether that's guilt. I mean, the list can go on and on. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us here tonight, we felt one of those type of emotions and we felt like it was just overflowing in our lives, maybe because something happened or maybe it was just because we woke up one day and we were just like, man, I just feel like I'm just so anxious today for no apparent reason. And again, last week we talked about fear and tonight we're going to be talking about shame. And now I'm excited for tonight because there's moments in our lives where I believe we are filled to the brim with shame and we honestly don't even know that that's happened in our lives. And I think half the battle when it comes to our relationship with God and fighting back against the enemy is understanding how he's trying to attack us. Because I don't know if you know this, I know a lot of times that we think our enemy may be President Trump or our enemy is Joe Biden or our enemy is the parents or the bullies at school, but that's not our true enemy. The true enemy is the prince of the evil one, and that is the devil. And tonight, we're going to talk about this way that he attacks us in moments where we become filled with shame. Now, the definition of shame, I just wanted to share real quick because I believe it was so just powerful, this definition. It should be up on the screen. The definition of shame is this. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by consciousness of wrong or foolish 
behavior. Who is brave enough to say, you know what, I've been there before because I've been there way too many times. And I'll share two instances tonight with you guys and how I had to deal with that. And now tonight I just want to share this because I forgot to share it last week. And that's this. This series, we're going to be talking about certain emotions that maybe we are not feeling in this moment. Like last week, maybe you guys weren't feeling like you were filled to the brim with fear. Or maybe right now you don't feel like you're filled to the, to the brim with shame. But I'm going to tell you this tonight. Tonight is still a great night for you to be sitting here taking notes because that does not mean that later on in your life that you won't be filled to the brim with that fear or filled to, brim, to the brim with shame. And so tonight we're going to do, do that, and I'm excited for that. So before we do anything, I'm pray. And we're going to get into tonight's message. So with that being said, actually, real quick, I, I, I want to show you guys something I'm really proud of. Oh, Sophia mentioned me. Shout out, Sophia. Who in here, this is completely off topic, but who in here has, like, widgets on their phone? Did anybody, like, actually, like, go all out and spend hours on, like, decorating their phone? Like, the widget, like, the apps? Last night, I'm in bed at, like, 10 o'clock, and I'm like... I like you ever go through Instagram and the ad pops up and you're like, man, that looks really cool. I got one of those for like widgets and I was like, man, that looks really cool. So I spent up until midnight, so like two hours just like redoing my front like home screen with all black like um, apps and it looks really cool. So if you want to see it after service, come talk to me. Yeah, they look dope. It's super random and I just wanted to share that. So let's pray. All right, God, we thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the random randomness we can get into. But God, I pray tonight. As we dive into tonight's message and tonight's word that you've prepared for every single one of us, that, God, you will just use this time to minister to us. That, God, we can put the distractions away for the next 20 minutes. We cannot have to talk to our friends for the next 20 minutes. We can just sit here and focus on what it is that you want us to hear. Because the skate ramps will be there. Our friends will be there. The hot chocolate after service will be there afterwards. So, God, I pray we just take this next 20 minutes and we just hone in on you and we focus on what it is that you were trying to show us tonight. God, we love you. God, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. And we all said amen. amen. Question time. And the question is this. Have you ever done something, as we talk about shame, have you ever done something that made you feel like just absolutely horrible before and you got caught for doing it? all the time. It's funny because when I wrote the message on Monday, I was like, oh, I'll ask everybody like what it is that they did. And then I was like, actually, that south way fast. And I'm like, we're not going to do that. So instead, I'm going to share a moment in my life where that's happened. So as a kid growing up in junior high, so a lot of you guys right now in junior high, in junior high, my parents, and a lot of you know this if you've been with us for a little bit, um, my parents, when I would wake up for school, they were already gone for work. So I was, like, not raising myself, but I felt like the man of the house when my mom and dad were gone. Like, I wake up, I feel like nobody's home, and it was, like, the greatest feeling in the world. And I remember this one day, I said to myself, man, you know what, I'm hungry. And as you look at me now, you're like, Charlie, you look like you're always hungry. <sighs> Which I am, but... Best besides the fact. And I was like, man, I'm hungry. And I was like, I don't got no money, but I'm hungry. I, I, I want to eat something. And I, you ever, like, open the fridge and just, like, you, there's so much food, but you're like, mom, we got nothing. Like, anyone ever been there? I do that all the time. All the time. So I did that yesterday. Um, I, I do that all the time. And I remember looking in the fridge, and I was like, there was food. But I was like, man, I don't want this. And I said to myself, you know what, what I want for, for breakfast 
I want a, I want a family-sized bag of Skittles. And I know, I know, I know. That's junior high. You're supposed to do that in junior high. And I was like, I want a family bag of Skittles. And I was like, but I don't have any money. And when I walked to, to, to the middle school, there's a CVS that's right next to my, like, walking path. And I was like, I could stop there and get it, but I had no money. And so, but I knew where money was in the house. You see, my mom in her room had this, like, piggy bank, like a legit piggy bank. Like, it was, like, pig, it was pink and it was, like, a pig. And she, always put her, she would always put her change in the piggy bank. And I knew, I was like, oh, it's like $2. Like, this was like back in like 2007, so like things were cheaper. Um, but I was like, oh, a bag of Skittles, like family size is like two bucks. Like, I'm going to take two bucks out of the piggy bank, and I'll tell my mom about it when she gets home. So I went into her room. I took the $2 out of the piggy bank. I walked to, home, I walked to CVS, got my family size bag of Skittles, went to the school, and I was the most popular kid at the school that morning. And I remember a week goes by, and I completely forgot to tell my mom. Yeah, I completely forgot to tell my mom. And as that was happening, I thought to myself, well, I got away with it. Like, I don't have to pay my mom back the $2 that I stole from her. I'm going to do it again and see if I can get away with it. And so the next week rolls around, I go back into my mom's room, and I take $2 out of her piggy bank, and I go and get myself a family-sized bag of Skittles one more time. And I walked to school, and I became popular again. And I, I, it was like living my best life. The only thing was once I realized that I could get away with it, I did it multiple times. I'm talking like legit like 20 times. I went to CVS, took money from my mom's piggy bank, and bought myself some Skittles. And it wasn't until the day my mom, it was like a Saturday, my mom went to her piggy bank to get her change to go cash it at the Stater Brothers that she realized it was pretty much empty. The only thing left was pennies because we don't mess with pennies. And she comes directly to me in the living room and says, Charlie, were you taking money out of, the piggy, like, out of my piggy bank? I was like, no, mother, I'd never do such a thing. I'm an angel. And she says to me, well, your dad didn't do it. You don't have a brother or a sister. Casper the Friendly Ghost don't live with us. Somebody's taking the money. I was like, Mom, that wasn't me. And then as soon as my dad heard, y'all, you know, like when like your mom comes to you, it's nice and sweet. But when the dad rolls into the picture, it's like, oh, no, I'm about to die. He comes out and he looks at me and I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to go good. And that time my dad's like my size, but just bigger. He looks like a wall. And <laughs> I look at him and he was like, Charlie, did you take money out of your mom's piggy bank? And, like, you ever been in a moment where you're so scared and you don't know what to do and the only thing you do is just sit there and cry because you think you can get out of it? (laughs) I do that every day, bro. You you know? (laughs) I, like, look at my dad and I just couldn't help but cry. And I was like, "Ah!" And I just started crying, and my dad looks at me. He's like, I don't know what to do. And so I I was like, I thought I got away with it, but they talked to me afterwards. But I remember in that moment when my mom came to me, even though I tried covering it up, that emotion that came into my life that eventually made me cry with shame, and it felt absolutely horrible. That I was doing something I know I should not be doing, and I got caught for doing it. And it made me feel like I was filled to the brim with shame in my life as a junior high student. And I believe there's a lot of us here tonight that we've been in situations, we've been in moments where we're doing something we know we should not be doing. And when we get caught for it, 
we have that shame immediately into our lives. Where we might have thought, man, when I wasn't getting caught for this, it was great, but as soon as I got caught, I know it's bad. And now I hate the feeling that I'm living with right now. And if you've never felt like that before, then you, are, you must be the second coming of Christ because we feel like we've all felt that way before. And so tonight, I want to talk about that. Tonight I have three points, only 11 verses I'm going to read for us tonight because I know we're cold, we want to get that hot chocolate. My hands already feel like they're freezing. But I got three points, 11 verses. If you're taking notes, the very first point I want to go over tonight is this. Point one and point one is the setup. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we'll have it on the screen in a little bit. But point one, the setup. Now, have you ever been set up before? Like maybe like you got set up to go on like a blind date or maybe you got set up before by your little brother or your older sister or whatever that might be to like get in trouble or something. Luckily, I don't have brothers or sisters. So the only time I ever got set up was when I set my own stupid self up to get like in trouble, like key stealing money from my mom. But it's not a fun place to be. And we're going to read a story in John chapter 8 where Jesus and this lady are going to be stuck in this setup by the religious leaders and these Pharisees back in the day. Now, a lot of us, we know, we've heard of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. They say and they have these great titles. They have these titles where it seems like they are just some of the most holy of holies. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're just wicked. They're horrible. And we're going to see exactly that right now. So John chapter 8, we're only going to read three verses right now. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 says this. should be up on the screen. Boom. Jesus returned to the Mountain of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So let's pause real quick, and we're going to spend a little time right here. We see the religious leaders and the Pharisees, again, they're wicked. They're just like some horrible people. And they're in this moment where they catch this woman in the act of adultery and drag her to Jesus where Jesus is teaching. And you might read those first few few verses and think to yourself, Charlie, how was this a setup? They caught this girl doing something she shouldn't have been doing, brought her to Jesus for the punishment. Like, why is this a setup? And you see, the thing and the reason why we know this is a setup, one, because the religious leaders and the Pharisees, all their big model, their big goal was just to get Jesus arrested and later crucified. Like, that was their goal, and they didn't care how they had to do it, which we'll get to in a little bit. But right now in this moment, the way we can decipher that this was a setup is two reasons. When it comes to adultery, how many people does it take? Two. Question, where's the other person? Not there. Secondly, look at it this way. On top of that, the Bible says that they caught her in the middle of the act. I don't know about you, but that must mean that they were camping out, waiting for the moment to happen. And once it happened, they jumped on the scene, grabbed her, dragged her out, and left the other person behind. A lot of theologians believe that that other person was also in the setup, in this moment, to try and get Jesus caught up. 
Because it isn't so much about this woman that they're focused on. It's more so trying to get Jesus set up to fail. And the thing that it, it, it just bothers me when I read this story is the way the religious leaders and the Pharisees respond in this moment. Because it's like, it, it, it looks to me that they have no care in the world for like a human life. All they care about is their own motto. All they cared about was getting Jesus in a situation where they thought they can get him to mess up. How do we know that? It's because they says that they dragged her out, hair messed up, makeup all done up, and it's all messed up now probably from her crying. They dragged her to where Jesus was at. There was a crowd of people, just like how we have here. Jesus is teaching, and they throw this woman in the middle of the crowd. Everyone sees this girl as Jesus is speaking. Everyone's probably wondering, like, oh, my God, what happened? Like, you ever been in school and you see, like, some kid get pulled out of class? And you're like, uh-oh. Like, I wonder what they did. Like, I ain't going to be good. Like, that's the same situation. And everyone's wondering. Everyone's gossiping. And then the religious leaders put her business on blast in front of everybody. You see, they didn't care about her. Even though, again, they had this title of religious leader and Pharisees. They didn't care about this woman. All they cared about was what they wanted to get. And can I warn you tonight, guys, in our circle of influence, the circle of friends that we have, I can guarantee you this, uh, the longer we live, as you guys move from junior high to high school, from high school to college, you will come across people that enter your life that honestly could care less about what you want and only care about what they want. And they don't care about your goals. They don't care about your vision. They will use you and abuse you to get to where they need to go. And the thing is this, the younger we realize that, just like we see these religious leaders and the Pharisees, the more hurt we can save ourselves from, the farther ahead we can get in life. And I know it's kind of random, but the thing is this, the, again, the earlier we learn that, the better our lives can end up looking like. So take a look for that. Watch over that. But as we talk about these religious leaders and just how kind of cruel and just crooked they are, there was something that came to my mind when I was reading this story on Monday. And it's, it's kind of weird, so just bear with me. A question came to my mind in my office on Monday as I'm reading this, and I'm looking at the religious leaders in this, in this idea of the setup. And I started thinking to myself, how many of us here tonight, how many of us watching on YouTube or listening later on the podcast act like the religious leaders? Now, I'm not saying that we go and we take our friends and we drag them out to the church and be like, look what they did. That's weird. I've never seen that in my life. But I'm saying more so, how many of us are like religious leaders when it comes to our own lives? Now, bear with me. Because you see, the religious leaders grabbed this girl and brought her in front of Jesus to set herself up to be filled with shame, guilt, hurt, and embarrassment. They set it up, and it started to make me think, I wonder how many of us are just like those religious leaders when it comes to our own lives, where we set ourselves up to have shame into our minds, to have shame into our body, where we are just filled to the brim. 
where we set ourselves up to fail. We know we shouldn't be doing something, but yet we do it anyway. It's not a good thing. And I'll tell you this, you can save yourself so much hurt if you just stop acting like that. If you start thinking to yourself, what are the consequences that are going to follow after these actions? Should I be doing this? If I get caught, am I going to get in trouble? If my mom walks in, what is she going to think? If my dad, my brother, my sister walks in, what's going to happen? We can save ourselves a lot of trouble and a lot of hurt and a lot of shame if we just stop setting our own selves up. Like the religious leaders set this woman up to be just filled with shame. Now, the second point that I want to bring up is this, the pickle. Who in here likes pickles? You guys are foul. Uh, <laughs> I set you up, see? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I just don't like pickles. Pickles to me are disgusting. Uh, but it's okay. I love you anyways. So does Jesus. But when I think of the pickle and the, the way I got the definition, is who in here has ever seen the sandlot? Oh, okay, good, good. I just want to make sure we're, we're still human. I love the Sandlot. If you've never seen the Sandlot, ask your parents or ask whoever watches over you. They'll get you the Sandlot. It's a great, great old school movie. But there's a scene where they talk about the pickle. And if you don't know what a pickle is, maybe you've, you've been in baseball, maybe you played baseball and you know what that is. Usually what a pickle means is when a runner, someone that hit the ball and they're running, is either stuck between a base, whether that um, today we're going to use second and first. And the second and first baseman have the baseball and they're throwing it back and forth trying to get the person in the middle out. It's kind of like monkey in the middle. And they said this in the sandlot that that was a pickle where this person will be stuck in the middle of two bad situations. And right now, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, from what it looks like, have done exactly that to Jesus. Watch what I mean. Let's continue reading. Verses 4 through 5 say this. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Let's pause real quick. We're going to continue reading a little bit. The law of Moses says to stone this woman for the actions that she was in. So this is where we see the pickle come into play. Because the religious leaders have found this, in it, this, this woman doing what she shouldn't be doing, brought to Jesus in front of the crowd, and they're asking Jesus, what do we do? The law of Moses says we need to kill her. Being stoned means they will literally bury their body halfway up, I believe it's to the waist, and they will throw rocks at them until they die. That's the way people used to be stoned back in the day. Nowadays, when we say stoned, we think we're getting high. But as that moves on, they ask Jesus that. And what they're trying to do is this. They're trying to say, if Jesus says yes, then it looks like Jesus has no compassion for this woman and no compassion for the people that he is trying to lead. And if Jesus says no, don't, then he is going against the law of Moses, what everyone was told to hold true to. So he's in a pickle. He's in the middle of a situation I would never want to be in. But let's continue reading. Verse 6 and nine, six through 9 says this. They were trying to trap, in, trap him into something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again 
and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Verse 8, then he stooped down again and rode in the dust. When the ancestor or when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. If I, I, I wish I could have been in that crowd. Because if I was in that crowd and I see Jesus playing tic-tac-toe in the dirt, I'd be like, first off, Jesus, what are you doing? But secondly, when they're sitting there demanding Jesus, give us an answer. What do we do? What do we do? And Jesus stands up. Like When Jesus stands up, I would feel like just like the like trees start moving. It's like, oh, snap. And he looks at him and says, all right. But who has never sinned may cast the first stone. And then stoops back down and finishes his tic-tac-toe game. If I was in the crowd, my mouth would have been like, I'd like, like, like went over to someone like, hey, did you hear what he said? Did you just hear that? And then as soon as the people started walking away, I'm like, oh, you got molded. You just got burned. You want some olive oil for that burn? Like I would have been hyped. Like there's no way. I know those are some old, those are some old jokes. So I said them in high school and junior high, but they're still relevant, I think. And I would just be like ecstatic, like hyped up, like, dang, Jesus got you guys. You thought you got him, but he got you. You're stupid. And I, I would have just like been so like outraged. And the crazy part, though, when they ask this question, we're supposed to stone this woman. What should we do? Jesus responds, those who have not sinned, cast the first stone. Question, who in that crowd of onlookers could throw that first stone? Nobody but Jesus. Question, does Jesus throw the stone? No. And it's a beautiful picture to me because I feel like a lot of times when we are in the middle of our shame, when we are filled to the brim with shame, we tend to look at God like, God, why are you punishing me? Jesus, why is this happening to my life? The thing I want you to understand tonight, guys, is this. When we are filled to the brim with shame or any other type of emotion, it's more than likely, no, actually 100%, it's not Jesus is doing, it's not God's doing, but 99.999% of the time, it's our own doing. And yet, even in the middle of our shame, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our mess up, the only one that could truly actually punish us doesn't. The only one that can actually throw that stone doesn't. Instead, he goes down and loves us anyway in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our sin. It's not what Jesus is doing to our life, but it's what we are um, doing to our own lives. And that's the thing I want us to understand. God, Jesus, he's not. An angry God. Instead, he is filled with love and compassion. And the thing that gets me the most when it comes to this story that I find so beautiful is the posture of Jesus. See, when it comes to the posture of Jesus, what does he do as soon as he hears the news about this woman? He stoops down. Sorry, camera. If you, oh, you can't get me. What's up? And starts drawing on the floor. Now, a lot of theologians, a lot of people, there's a lot of debate when it comes to what was Jesus writing in the dirt. Nobody really knows. Everyone guesses. I say he was playing tic-tac-toe. Other people were saying that with the people in the crowd, he was writing down all their sins 
in the dirt. Other people, and if you're a Bible nerd kind of like me, I want you to write this down because I found this this week and it, just, it was just so fascinating to me. Some people say that what Jesus was doing is when he stooped down and started writing in the ground, some people said that he used that as an imagery. He used that as a picture of looking back at the religious leaders and Pharisees and saying, hey, you're using the Ten Commandments right now. You are using the law of Moses, but guess who wrote the law of Moses? And when I sat there and I read that, I was like, oh, shoot. We don't know, though. This is all speculation, but I like that one. But I'm not so worried about what he was writing. I'm more so looking at, again, Jesus' posture. Because what Jesus does is something that typically no man of stature would do. And as he got low to the ground while everybody else was standing. It's a sign of humility, and it was a sign of love. Because the thing is this. That woman that got dragged out in the whole setup, where has she been? On the ground. More than likely not looking around because she doesn't want to look at anybody. Because you know typically when you're filled with shame, you don't want to like talk to anybody about it. That's more than likely where she's at. She doesn't want to look around. She doesn't want to look anybody in the eyes. But yet Jesus, a man full of stature, a man full of well, or full, full of um, knowledge, stature, doesn't care about it. And instead goes down and meets her exactly where she's at. Guys, I, I hope that encourages you. I hope you get that. That it doesn't matter in our pain, in our shame. It, it, it doesn't matter that we, God is not up there angry at us. But instead, God meets us exactly where we're at. Just like he did for this woman caught in adultery, he's doing for us every single time we mess up. When we mess up and when we don't mess up, Jesus is right there next to us. But the only thing is this, we need to accept that. We need to call for him. He's there. We just need to be willing to allow him in. And yet Jesus is doing that for this lady in front of everybody. And it's such a beautiful picture. But I, I want to jump into the third point. And this is the last point. The band can head up and we'll close out. We'll get some hot chocolate. It's already 8 o'clock. And the third point is this. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. I'm just going to read the next few verses. Don't get it twisted. John chapter 8, verses 10, 11, the last verses of the night. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, this is key, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. When it comes to these verses and this whole entire chapter, and I've, if you've been with us long enough, you've heard me speak about this story at least four times. And when it comes to the story, there's something that I always miss. Maybe it's because I just don't want to talk about it. But I feel like a lot of times, even when we, when we do talk about this, there's just something that we don't really harp on. Because yet we, we, we look at Jesus and we see, wow, Jesus saved your life. Jesus molded those people. They walked away. He was playing tic-tac-toe. And yet he loved this woman even in the midst of her mess up, even in the midst of her shame. And we leave it at that. 
But there's something so key in that last verse, really the last sentence he says to this woman that I want us to hold on to, not get twisted. And that was this. He said, go and sin no more. You see, if Jesus would have never said that, if he would have never brought the correction into this woman's life, we would look at Jesus, a lot of the scholars would look at Jesus, a lot of the people in the day would look at Jesus and say, you see, Jesus doesn't, didn't come to correct. Jesus didn't come to, to, to teach us. All Jesus came was to, just to love on us. He didn't look at sin in the severity that it is. Instead, he downplays sin. But yet Jesus doesn't. And a lot of times we overlook that step in this point, that step in this story. Because when Jesus says, go and sin no more, this is what Jesus is saying. Four little things. If you want to write them down, I'm just going to read them out. The first thing that means when he says, go and sin no more is this. He recognized that the woman had done was, what the woman had done was sin. Because he told her to stop sinning. Simple. Next thing. He told her to repent and to not continue her sin. In what he said, he also meant this. He gave her hope that her life can go on in freedom from sin. The fourth thing, and the thing I think is so important for us to get, and if you are taking notes, write this last one down. If you want them after service, come talk to me. But when he says, go and sin no more, the last thing I, I just see is this. Jesus gave her a word of hope to speak against the shame that would later likely to threaten, would likely threaten to overwhelm her life. I'm going to say that, one last, that last one one more time. Jesus gave her a word of hope to speak against the shame that would later likely threaten to overwhelm her life. You see, guys, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, we are given so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much love, and it's so true, and I'm not neglecting that. But it made me start to think after reading this story how many times we turn to Jesus saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, love me. Jesus, I'm messed up. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Pour your grace upon my life. And we get to that moment, and Jesus does exactly that, but yet we go back and do the same exact thing that led us into that moment where we felt like we were to the brim with shame, to the brim with fear, to the brim with sin, and there's been no correction in our life. All we are doing is filling up with grace to dump that out to ask for more grace. And the thing, guys, is this, and it's going to be a little weird. It might be a little awkward. But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is 100% grace, but he's also 100% truth. John chapter 2, I believe, says that. Jesus, he comes to forgive, but he also comes to correct. He also comes to show us how to live a life after his own heart. And that's key when it comes to a relationship with him. Because again, if, it, if we don't, if we don't just live, if we just live with 100% grace, what ends up happening is we just find ourselves in a spiral of sin. That's why I wanted to harp on that last thought. When Jesus goes to her and says, go and sin no more, that correction, he didn't say, hey, your sins are forgiven and you're okay. It was a fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. 
He realized that it was a big deal, but yet still loved her in the process of it. And as we close, I want to share these last things with you. And then we're done. We'll get some hot chocolate and go into this last song of worship. But that's this. I've been, a lot of you guys know my testimony. I'm not going to go into that and not bore you guys. But there's been a handful of times. I'm talking hand, foot, more hands, my wife's hands, my wife's feet, like all over the place, times. Where I've messed up in my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my friends, where I've lied, where I've just done things where I said I wasn't doing and I got caught doing it anyways. And I just, I just got into a moment just filled with shame. Handful of times. Handful of times. And I remember one of the last ones, it was a few years back. I remember sitting there thinking to myself, God, why is it that I just always am just going back to this sin? Why is it that when I get caught, I'm always filled with shame? And I just remember vividly. I don't know if it was from God or just my own thinking. It was this idea of, yeah, you always come back and you are filled with this shame and you are filled with this guilt. And the reason why is because you aren't correcting the mistakes in your life. You're coming back to me, Charlie. I'm refilling you. I'm refreshing your life. I'm giving you the grace that that I don't deserve, but he's poured out anyways. But now... Let's bring the correction into it too. You see, there's something that I want to leave you with tonight. And it's a quote. We should have the quote up on the screen. The quote says this. Law and grace, not the show. Law, truth, and grace, Jesus' love, do not compete with each other. But instead, they complement each other. What do I mean is this, you can't have truth and grace. You can't have just one or the other. They go hand in hand. If you're here tonight and and you've just been sick and tired of making mistake after mistake, feeling the shame, feeling the fear, feeling the guilt, let's turn to Jesus but allow Jesus to transform our lives. Let's turn to Jesus and follow what his word says, what the correction in this word means for our lives. Again, I say it all the time. He gave us this word of God. He gave us his Bible as a blueprint of how we should live our lives. This is our moral compass between bad and good. Our moral compass. And when we fall from that and we get caught in the midst of it, it's not Jesus pouring the shame into our lives. It's our us because we know. But let's allow this law, let's allow this word to transform our lives and allow him to transform us. So where you're at, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes and let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now, first and foremost, thank you for this story. The story of this adulterous woman that got caught in the middle of the act, brought in front of the crowd, filled with shame, filled with guilt. And yet Jesus was there to love her along the way. Yet Jesus was there. You were there. 
to bring hope. But Jesus, more importantly, the only you didn't just only bring hope, you brought truth. You didn't only just bring grace, but you brought correction. And Jesus, I pray tonight, especially in this year of 2020, I feel like we've just been having had of a year filled with doing whatever we want and there's been no correction. What used to be good is now bad and what used to be bad is now good because I feel like we've just fallen off God from this idea of correction. We've fallen off from what your word has to say. And tonight, God, with everyone's here, everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, nobody talking, God, I pray for us that are here tonight that maybe we feel like we are filled with shame. Maybe we feel like we are filled with hurt. Jesus, I pray first and foremost that you come in and do a restoration in every single one of our lives. But Jesus, I pray as you do that you also show the truth, saying, hey, we need to stop doing this. So right now, if you're here tonight, this isn't an altar call, but this is just a time where we can pray for you. With everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, if you're here tonight and you're saying, man, I just keep messing up, I keep falling short, I keep doing these things, if that's you tonight, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to talk to you. So with everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, if that's you, if this relates to you, all I want you to do is raise your hand. You're raising your hand to God saying, God, I'm imperfect. God, I need your grace. I need your love, but I also need your correction. So if that's you here tonight, just raise your hand on the count of three. One, that's between you and God. Two, three. If that's you here tonight, just raise your hand. Jesus, thank you for the hands raised. With everyone's heads bowed, eyes closed, Jesus, thank you for the hands that are raised. You guys can put your hands down. Father God, you saw every hand in this room or in this outdoor area raised saying, you know what, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm tired of falling short and falling short and falling short. Jesus, I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful for your grace. But tonight's the night where, God, I'm accepting the correction. I'm following what your word has to say. God, I pray tonight for everyone that was here that raised their hand, that they come talk to a leader, that they ask, I, I understand God can correct me, but what's the next step? And God, we can show and we can coach and we can go alongside them right next to you, God. So God, we love you. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in every single one of our lives. And it's in your name we pray. And we all said, amen. If you guys can, please stand to your feet.